Hi, this is Yolanda. I'm sharing with you the memoirs of President Joseph Smith III, 1832 to 1914. And we're partway through chapter 33. And the heading of this section is Two River Cities. Um, I ask that you bear with me as I trip over some of the words sometimes. But um, let's enjoy the words of Joseph Smith III together. Enjoy. It was in January of 1895 I went to St. Louis to be present at the hearing before the United States Circuit Court of Appeals of our suite for possession of the temple lot, about which I have already written. The local brethren shared our anxiety about the outcome and our disappointment which ensued when the verdict was given. It seemed in vain to urge the unlawful manner in which the original possessors had been banished from the estate, and we left the court feeling that while a clear case had been made on our behalf, the defeat to which we were subjected was in reality but a continuation of unlawful act and injustice upon the part of the state authorities. I firmly believe that we could have gotten into the Supreme Court of the United States with an appeal, the state of Missouri would have been held to answer for what had resulted from its own unlawful actions in the past and the decision would not have resulted in our again being deprived of our just rights. Next heading, Noah, N. Cook and other saints of St. Louis. During our stay in St. Louis on this occasion, I preached for our people at their places of meeting and spent some time in visiting the members, including Noah N. Cooks, John Dawson, John C. Hitchcock, Sister Alice Molyneux and the S.R. Burgess family, including son Samuel A. and Harold and daughter Florence. At Cheltenham, I visited brother W.O. Thomas, a very kindly charitable man always ready with a helping hand to anyone in misery. He possessed some little local wealth from being in possession of some land in which a certain white earth was resident. From this soil, an unusually fine grade of brick was made, every wagon load, according to accounts current, being worth almost its weight in silver. Years before, I had made my first call at Cheltenham and Dry Hill, both adjacent to St. Louis, and whenever in the city, I usually went out there to preach also. Returning from St. Louis, the last of the month, I was soon called to Omaha on business connected with the site of a church there, the title to which was in some question, and also to assist Brother John Avondent, Avondet and others in their plans for building on this occasion occurred the funeral services for Brother William Ballinger, to whom, with others, I had been called a time or two previous to administer. He was an Englishman, somewhat past middle age, and a good man. Henry Jones was Welsh, Brother Ivondet French, some other members American, German and English, which mixture had produced a sort of racial jangle in the branch, in which all were more or less involved, including the brothers Edward and Joseph Gilbert, by dint of preaching the gospel of love, patience and brotherly kindness on Sunday, and in the intervals between other tasks, and writing the will of brother Henry Jones, according to the invention and desire of the testator. I succeeded in calming the disturbance and smoothing out the differences and misunderstandings which had arisen until quite a good feeling of unity prevailed among them. The Omaha Saints had been for a number of years in a transitionary state so far as church work and spiritual development were concerned, their interest and enthusiasm rising and falling in response to the spirit of those who took part in the branch as they came and went under the pressure of circumstances and condition usual to all large city groups. I felt that I had the confidence of the entire membership. However, both there and in Council Bluffs, the sister branch, where I also ministered upon this occasion. My memory as to dates has ever been deficit and hence sometimes my recollections become pretty well mixed. Individual names, faces, incidents, 
crowds before me in memory, and it is sometimes difficult to determine just where in point of time they belong, just when such and such persons were movers in such and such scenes in which I took active part. My earliest recollection of speaking in Omaha indicates that it was done at the solicitation of Elder Colby Downs and Brother Joseph Gilbert, a tailor. We met in a town hall down near the waterfront. Omaha was then scarcely more than a village. From then on, memory of other visits to Omaha are marked with a varied picture of increasing numbers of saints there as they came in from east or west under the labours of our faithful missionaries, many of whom have now passed on to their eternal reward. And in the midst of these interwoven memories, the scene of my writing, this will, will for Brother Henry Jones in his little room in the city of Omaha stands out clearly side by side with the scenes of those other experiences connected with the city, even those early ones when there was a steady stream of emigration passing through the place from Nebraska City, Kukuk and other outfitting stations. Next heading, Missouri Points. My next trip in 1895 was in March into Missouri. Brethren Thomas Chapman, Stephen Maloney and other labouring in the Spring River district had succeeded in getting a hold of a little town in the mining region of Blendville, connected by street railway with Webb City. Here they had baptised quite a number, among them a family named Hissa, the man being a son-in-law of F.L. English, assisted by A.P. Free and M.F. Frick, who had come in, come from Indiana as a builder as a building contractor, but was doing a successful business as a grocer in the city. Quite a little group had been gathered and organised. Considerable antagonism had existed at Blendville at first, but the wise counsel of those in charge had prevailed. A church had been built and the dedication services went forward successfully under the auspices of the little branch at Webb City. Brother O.P. Sunderland, with others presiding. It is with pleasure I recall some of the incidents connected with my attendance at this dedication. Mrs. English was a fine singer, and under her direction and with the help of her husband, a good little choir had been trained and gave willing service. Saints from quite a large adjoining territory came together and made a respectable showing. I made a pleasant acquaintance with one Thomas Hayton, a high, hearty, intelligent young Englishman, young English gentleman. He had passed through a remarkable experience when a tornado had visited the neighbourhood and had lifted his house bodily, scattering to the four winds everything in it but the floor and cook stove. The storm had happened in the absence of the family, or the results might have been extremely serious. Particular details of the freakish performances of that cyclone were related to me, such as the carrying away of a baby in its crib, both being found uninjured some distance away under the storm, away after the storm had subsided. A deep well of water had been completely emptied, as if by a pump, and other oddities has happened, though fortunately with little loss of life. I visited Hayton's shack, as he called it, and was much interested in him and his experiences. Passing from his home across the country through Carterville, we went among the mines from whence we were from whence were extracted zinc, lead, and copper. Those deposits lay near the surface and were sources of great income to the owners of the land. Since then, Webb City has become quite a large place where I'm happy to say a chapel for the use of some people, a chapel for the use of our people was dedicated at a subsequent date. Next heading, an Iowa celebration. According to the notes in my diary, I was invited to be the orator on Independence Day to extol the American Republic and its growth at Decatur City. Dicacher County, 14 miles northeast of Lamoni. Unfortunately for the success of the festival, it rained both on that day and the day before. 
I had long before achieved the reputation of being on hand at the time and place of my appointments, and so having a good team, I did not let the weather hinder my going to Decatur. I started early in order to negotiate those 14 muddy miles in good time. I reached my destination before there had been much movement to gather at the place designated for the exercises. It was to be at the schoolyard in the middle of a large park set with small trees. It was surely a dejected and bedraggled group which finally gathered near to the stand to hear the addresses. Not often have I allowed myself to express disgust or annoyance at the short-sightedness or failures of those upon whom have devolved the duty of preparing for and carrying out such events, but this special 4th of July stands out in memory as one which was utterly devoid of anything calculated to make it attractive, refreshing, cheerful or comfortable for the speaker, or to console or reward him for efforts put forth. I was directed to the hotel at the bidding of the committee, which I overheard haggling even before the crowd had begun to assembly to assemble over details of the undertaking, the expenses they were at, the likelihood of a deficit, etc. So much was said in my presence that I soon settled their fears as far as I was concerned by telling them that they could go ahead with the rest of their plans as they wished, use their funds for other phases of the celebration, and after that, if nothing were left in their exchequer, which they chose to place at my disposal, it need cause them no uneasiness. There was much evidence of gross mismanagement and a total lack of efficiency in planning and execution. When the skies cleared and the crowd assembled, it was a motley aggregation, sure enough, countrified and local beyond measure. I took my assigned place on the stand along with the ones who were to read the Declaration of Independence and to offer prayer, but it was soon apparent that little or no attention was to be paid to this principal exercise of the day. I think I am safe in affirming, as memory paints the scene, that the main ones who listened to these offerings and the oration of the invited speaker of the hour numbered less than 60 persons all middle-aged or past who gathered in a little bunch at the right of the at the right of the stand from the time the call to begin the services was made until their close there was no cessation to the noise and confusion about the stand barkers at the refreshment counters scattered all about the square some within 50 feet of the speaker's platform kept us kept up an incessant advertisement of their wares and the racket and laughter from every sort of amusement kept going at full blast throughout the hour filled the air what i had to say had to be delivered in a voracious contest with the explosion of firecrackers of the small and large varieties the pounding and booming of firearms on the outside of the crowd, and the laughing, chatting, crying and disputations of people, old and young, who came near the stand in great and restless throngs, but paid not the slightest attention to what was being said. The man in charge seemed to have no care, concern or responsibility over those annoying conditions, and I was more than glad when at last the service was finished and I allowed to retire to the hotel, eat my supper and start for home. That haven was reached in the early evening. I was chilled through from the general dampness of the atmosphere, following the heavy rains in the early part of the day, and thoroughly disgusted with the particular brand of American patriotism which I had that day witnessed. I may add that the Committee on Arrangements felt obliged to limit the pay of their speaker to the bare expense his meals had cost them, for between bad weather and poor management, the effort to celebrate had been a conspicuous failure. I believe it was this fall there occurred the sudden death through a stroke of lightning of my wife's nephew, Philo Madison. His parents, Martin and Ellen Madison, 
had removed to California and the funeral occurred from our home. He was a fine stalwart specimen of young manhood and it seemed tragic that he should meet his death in such an apparently trivial manner. His body rests in Rose Hill Cemetery by the side of his sturdy grandfather, Mads Madison, where have also been laid the remains of his uncle Osmond and his aunt Josephine of the Madison family. Next heading, Prescience. Passing over a casual trip to Desmond in February of 1896 to attend a conference and fill appointments for preaching, I take up the thread of recollection and review some incidents which happened before and in connection with the session of our general conference at Kirtland in April. Elder Blair, my counsellor, by giving voice through oral teaching and published articles to some rather strong opinions he held, had met with severe criticism. Being closely associated with him in labour and council, I believed him to have been misunderstood, have been much un misunderstood on some points. As we prepared our itinerary for the year, which we usually did about conference time, a long heart-to-heart -heart talk brought about an even more complete understanding and harmony between us. It was decided that I should take a trip east as soon as practicable while he contemplated taking up actively the work of preparing and publishing a magazine somewhat of a historical nature in which he could present more fully the views he held and his reasons therefor. We parted in the afternoon as he left Lamoni for St. Louis to attend a local conference. From there he would proceed to Kirtland where I would meet him later. As we shook hands in parting and commented commended each other to the care of the master, I experienced one of those peculiar manifestations to which I have referred in these memoirs. The person of my colleague, with his countenance showing his heart all aglow with noble aspirations, faded from my mental vision and for a moment or two I became unconscious of the man's existence, while there was forced upon my mind a clear perception of what might result to him, to the church and to myself, should he succeed in his purpose, the publishing of this magazine. And then a voice spoke, as it were, in my heart, my brother will not live to accomplish what he designs. The experience passed almost as a dream, but it left me with a fixed consciousness of impending and momentous event. And thus we parted. Next heading, misrepresented. On the 17th day of March, I went to Independence, where I granted an interview with a certain Mormon elder, Samuel G. Spencer, to take place at the house of Brother Joseph Luff. I was not feeling in the best of health at the time, nor in the best of humour, and was somehow impressed that this man and the three or four associates he brought with him were not honest and would treat me unfairly. Yet I seemed unable to be sufficiently on my guard against them, not having a clear perception as to just what manner or in what direction they would seek to take advantage of me. They asked me concerning some phases of our position and put up to me a number of suppositional questions, all of which I tried to answer and explain fairly and honestly. At the close of the visit, Brother Luff told me he was of the opinion that I would hear from that interview in an unfortunate way, for he too had been impressed that those men were pursuing a certain line of inquiry in order to entrap me into saying things which they could twist or turn to their advantage. Events proved he was right in this surmise, for they falsified statements I made, artfully misconstruing them and putting me in an erroneous light before their members and others. In order that my readers may understand the annoyance, I rather justifiedly felt over their misrepresentations, and because I believed a detailed explanation is appropriate here, I transcribe an account of the matter from the Herald of the Period, setting the interview before my readers in its true light. Next heading, a statement and a correction of it. While at Independence on March 17th, Last, Elder S. G. Spencer of the Salt Lake, Utah Church requested the privilege of an interview as he desired to have a talk with me. I made an appointment with him for nine o'clock the next morning at the house of Brother Joseph Luff. 
At the hour, Elder Spencer, accompanied by E.S. Hart, A.G. Young and W.E. Criddle, came to Brother Luff's house, where, although a little surprised that Elder Spencer should have brought others with him, they were courteously received. The interview lasted until nearly 12 noon when they took leave. Sometime after my return home, I received from Brother J.M. Stubbard, but of Octavia, Nebraska, a letter dated May 15th stating that Elder W.E. Criddle was using a report of an interview of S.G. Spencer and others with me. He enclosed a copy of a list of the questions submitted to me and my answers thereto, as furnished to Brother Stubbert by Elder Criddle. Brother Stubbert stated that he had asked for a copy of their questions and my answers and was given the following. W.E. Criddle, A.G. Young, E.S. Hart and Sam G. Spencer to Joseph Smith. 1. Do you claim to be a prophet of God? Answer. Yes, I claim the same authority as my father. 2. Did your father ordain you to be a prophet to lead the church? Answer. No, he did not. He blessed me but did not ordain me to any office. 3. You say a voice told you to join the reorganised church. Is it not possible that the voice was from a seducing spirit, a transformed devil instead of from God? Answer. Heard a voice but will not say whether it could be deceptive or true. 4. Who who ordained you into the apostleship? Answer. Marks, Blair and Gurley ordained me be a high priest. 5. Did they hold the office of an apostle? Answer. Marks was not an apostle. 6. If not, how could he give something he never had? Answer. I think one holding an office in the Melchizedek priesthood can do so. 7. Have you had any visions? Answer. Yes, sir. I have a number of them. 8. Have you ever seen an angel or heavenly personage? Answer. I have seen angels. One came as a man and sat by my bed and gave me instructions as to whether to get a doctor or not. He said he did not know whether it was an angel or not. 9. Did your mother ever deny that your father entered polygamy? Answer, yes, sir, more than once. 10. Did she, Emma Smith, ever deny to you that he ever had the revelation on spiritual marriage? Answer, she said that she did not believe that he did. I do not believe that he did. I do not know. 11. Do you believe that principle will be practised? So let me start again. 11. Do you believe that that principle will be practised in the millennium? Answer. I do not believe that it will, but I have no objection individually. 12. If not, what will those do who have married one, two or three women here and they die? Answer. I do not know how they will be. I know nothing about whether we will have a wife or not. Apostle Luff interrupted. Can't you give more than a belief? Don't you remember that revelation you said you had? 13. Do you believe that you will assist us in building this grand temple? Or in other words, do you believe that the church you represent will ever unite with the organised church in Utah? Answer. No opinion to express. I'm perfectly willing that the people of God shall build it. And if I'm permitted to help build it. All right. 14. Can you honestly say before all men and your prophet father, if you could meet him and your God, that you know the people of Utah are without authority to administer in the gospel ordinances and ordinations? Answer, I believe there are many in the Utah church who have authority to administer in the gospel and the people whom they administer unto. I would not be surprised if they also held authority. 15. Spencer asked, President Woodruff, for instance, answer i do not like to pass upon individuals 16 do you say that you have authority to administer the ordinances of the gospel answer i believe i have authority 17 who would lead the church if you should die answer i have a theory that it would be upon the apostles 18 when elijah informed joseph the seer that the time had fully come spoken of by malachi how is it that there has been such a delay with your church answer i do not know anything about that 19 
Were not endowments and baptisms given and performed for the dead in the prophet's day? Answer, yes, there were. 20. Have you ever inhabited the Nauvoo house? Answer, I did not. 21. Do you or your prosperity ever expect to possess it? Answer, the building is partly down and of course we cannot dwell in it. 22. If you have failed to receive this promise for reasons best known to the Lord, is it not possible that you have also failed in the promise of leadership of or priesthood? Answer, yes, it depends upon the worthiness of the individuals. 23. Instead of Joseph the seer leaving the keys with you, did he not take them with him, placing the oracles with the church, the apostles at the head, or as Jesus gave first apostles? Answer, yes, they were the proper persons to take the lead at father's death. I prepared an answer to Brother Stubbert's letter, giving my statement of the interview so far as the subjects introduced by the questions are concerned. I wrote to both S.G. Spencer and W.E. Criddle, stating that the questions given by Elder Criddle misrepresented me, and that as neither questions nor answers were submitted to me in writing for examination and verification, they had no right to use them without my consent. This they had done. However, Mr. Spencer, having sent them to the Desert News, which published them, and Elder Carl S. Fackrell, one of the Utah elders in St. Louis, sent in a letter dated July the 14th a printed copy of such interview. This is headed with the statement that it was witnessed by the three elders, Young, Hart and Criddle, on the part of the Utah Church, and Apostle Luff of the Reorganised Church. At the close of the heading is this statement in brackets. The following questions were prepared and written with space below left between to be filled in with answers. The answers were given in the presence of all as they were given S. This list sent by Elder Thackrell does not agree with the one furnished by Elder Criddle to Brother Stubbert. In the Thackrell list sent me... The words to lead the church are left out of question number two. In the same list, the words ordains me to be a high priest are left out of the alleged answer to question number four. The words each is inserted in question number five, making it to read, did they each hold the office of an apostle? Also, the interruption by Brother Luff is placed after answer to question number 10 in relation to the denial of my mother concerning the revelation on celestial marriage, the word spiritual wife being used. However, instead of the word celestial marriage, but in the list furnished by Elder Griddle, Brother Luff's interruption is placed after question number 12, which refers to what a man having two or three wives here should do over and on the other side if there were no plural marriage in the millennium. In Elder Criddle's list, question number 14 has the words and ordinations added to it. During the answering of this question, Elder Spencer interrupted with President Woodruff, for instance, but question number 15 in Elder Fackrell's list gives an entire question thus, do you believe that President Wilfred Woodruff as divine authority. This question was not asked me. In Elder Criddle's list, question number 16 begins, do you say, etc. But in Elder Fackrell's, it is, dare you say, etc. In Elder Criddle's list, question number 17 is, who would lead the church if you should die? While in Elder Fackrell's, it is, who would leave the church if you and one of your counsellors should suddenly die, leaving no one appointed in your places? In Elder Criddle's list, question 22, the last half of it is, is it not possible that you have also failed in the promise of the seed or priesthood and the sentence is idolised as above? This list sent me by Elder Fackrell closes with the following certificate. We, certificate, we certify that the foregoing is a true and correct report, signed Samuel G. Spencer, William Edward Criddle, Archibald G. Young, Eugene S. Hart. Neither Brother Joseph Luff nor myself signed that report, nor would we have done so, 
had it been submitted to us for such purpose. It is not a correct report, and the fact that it does not agree with the one Elder Criddle gave copy of to Brother Stubbert shows that it was doctored before being put into print to sue Elder S.G. Spencer or others. I am prepared to answer for and defend the positions taken in the statements made by me of that interview, but distinctly disavow the statements of Elder Spencer and his associates in all those points in which there is a difference between the two. It was not understood by me to have been an interview for publication or any public use by Elder Spencer or his associate elders. The questions were not written in my presence, nor did I see them if written, neither were the answers shown me nor written in my presence to my knowledge. Um, signed Joseph Smith, Lamoni, Iowa, July 20th, 1896. Next heading, Statement of Interview, Lamoni, Iowa, May 19th, 1896. Brother J.M. Stubbert, Octavia, Octavia, Nebraska. Yours of the 15th received, in reply, Messrs. S.G. Spencer, E.S. Hart, A.G. Young and W.E. Criddle were at Brother Joseph Luff's house and Mr. Spencer did the talking. He asked me several questions, the form of which I did not rem I do not remember. If he had them written, I did not see them, but he certainly has not given the answers as I gave them. He had asked me for an interview and I granted it. He brought the others with him at his own motion and without consulting me. I had not thought he would misrepresent me. If he had the questions numbered and set down, I did not see them, nor were his minutes of what I had nor were his minutes of what I said submitted to me for correction. I hoped that neither he nor any of them would go away and lie about me. One Do you claim to be a prophet of God? Answer I I claim to occupy the position and office my father did. Two did your father ordain you to be a prophet to lead the church? Answer. Not in the sense of installing me in the leadership, for he was living and occupying, but in the sense of conferring on me, by his blessing and the laying of it on of his hands, whatever appertained to me as his son and his successor, he did, using the word ordain, to mean blessing, conferring and confirming upon me, whatever he held that could descend to me as his son by right of lineage. He did this in Liberty Jail in Missouri and again at Nauvoo some time before his death, after I was baptised. It was in the brick store and in the presence of witnesses of whom James Whitehead, now of Lamoni, was one. Whether or not to use the word ordain, I do not know. He again laid hands upon me and blessed me to the same blessing just before he left Nauvoo for Carthage in the north room at the mansion, at which time a number were present. Whether this may be considered an ordination or not, it was a setting apart by blessing, and I have so considered it. 3. You say a voice told you to join the reorganised church. Is it not possible that the voice was from a seducing spirit, a transformed devil, instead of from God? Answer to this question, though I believe the latter part respecting a transforming devil has been added since. I replied in substance. That is not a fair question, Elder Spencer, and is asked with a view to make capital out of a possible answer. I went to God earnestly asking for direction as my father did. The conditions were similar. And I believe that if there was a man on earth who had the right to believe that God would deal fairly with him, I was that man. I believe that now I asked in sincerity, where shall I go? And I was told as plainly as I can hear you speak today to join the reorganised church. I am not prepared to admit in any sense that I was deceived or that the voice was that of a seducer or evil spirit. I'm not prepared to say or to believe that God would either deceive me or to suffer any evil or lying spirit to deceive me. To admit that would be to throw doubt 
on every manifestation said to have been received during the rise of the church. It would subject the statements of Joseph Smith, David Whitmer and others who said they saw angels and heard them to grave discredit. No, sir, I do not admit that there was or could have been any deception or deceiving some or deceiving spirit in the case. Mr. Spencer tried in several ways to get me to admit that it might have been a deception, but I did not at any time make such admission. He has given in two lines what I did not say, except that I told him I heard a voice. That much is true. I would not and did not say that it could be or was deceptive. I fully believed it to be true and from God in answer to my prayer. He asked me if I claimed to be an apostle and I told him yes, that as my father and O. Cowdery were apostles after the ordination that made them the first and second elders of the church in 1830, so was I an apostle. 4. Who ordained you? The word apostle was not used in this question at that time. Answer. William Marks, who was president of the High Council at Nauvoo and president of the stake at father's death. William Blair and Zenas H. Gurley. Elder Gurley was a 70 in father's lifetime. Elder Blair had been baptised by my uncle William, who was one of the 12 at father's death. These men ordained me to be a high priest. I was then chosen to be president of the church and set apart to the office. I furthermore told him that neither Marks nor Gurley had ever been divested of the authority they held in father's time. 5. Did they hold the office of apostle? Answer. Marks was not an apostle in the sense of being one of the twelve. Blair and Gurley had been chosen to the apostleship. 6. If not, how could he give something he never had? Answer. Anyone holding the Melchizedek priesthood could, at the command of God, ordain to any office in the church and could, in case the necessity required it, perform any duty that an apostle might under the same conditions. It is provided for in the Revelation on Priesthood, section 104 of our book. Don't know what section in yours. Question 7. Question and answer about correct. 8. Have you ever seen an angel or heavenly personage? Answer. I've seen personages that I believe to have been angels. I then cited to some instances, among them the one referred to, but not in reference to getting a doctor. It was in regards to my administering to those who been sick employed a doctor. I had been, I had about concluded not to do so. Then I received the visitation referred to. I believed it to be a messenger sent by the good powers above to show me my duty. It had no more reference to my sending for a doctor than it had to whether I should hire a horse or buy a dog. I would not say that this was an angel, as the word angel is sometimes used, but it was certainly a messenger and not a human personage, such as a living man in the flesh, like you and me. This was, in its, in substance, the answer I gave in my talk on the subject. I referred him to the men who appeared to Abraham as he sat in his tent at the close of the day. 9. I think in this question Spencer used the words practice polygamy. To this I replied as stated, adding, she always denied it, not only to me but to others. 10. Did she, Emma Smith, ever deny to you that he ever had the revelation of spiritual marriage? Answer. She said that so far as her knowledge went, he never had the revelation, that she believed that he did not have it or give it to the church that she never saw it, never heard it read, never burned it or had it burned and never had anything to do with it whatever. Personally, I do not believe that he did give such revelation, though I do not know. 11 and 12. There was nothing said about the practice of polygamy in the millennium. The question had reference to the resurrection and I replied that I knew nothing about the laws that would govern in the resurrection but I accepted that what Jesus said, that in the resurrection there was neither marrying nor giving in marriage, that I knew of no authentic teaching that defined what the conditions there would be in detail, 
but that personally I was contented to accept the conditions of the laws ordained of God to govern there when I got there, that I had lost one wife and had another, and that I was not troubled about whether I should have one, both, or none at all over on the other side. The revelation referred to by Brother Luff was that in answer to prayer on the question of plural marriage or polygamy, I was commanded to have nothing to do with it, only to oppose it, and I stated that I had kept the commandment to the best of my ability. 13. Do you believe that you will assist us in building this temple, the one to be built here in Independence? Here Brother Luff suggested, had you not better ask whether you will assist us, we claim to be the church in succession. There was no question asked as to whether I thought we would unite with the organised church in Utah, except in the idea of assisting to build the temple in Independence. I replied, as to the question of who will build or assist to build the temple here and at Independence, I have no opinion to express. I'm quite willing that the people indicated by God as his people shall build it. If I and my brethren with me shall be thought worthy of building or even assisting to build it all right i shall be satisfied for the will of god to prevail in the matter 14 the question of authority in utah came up but i do not believe the question was in the form of number 14 i think it was simply do you believe the church in utah has authority to administer in the ordinances i replied that we of the reorganized church had always held that there were those in the church that went to utah and affiliated with that body who held priesthood derived from the church in father's time that undoubtedly there were some there still who had not forfeited their priesthood by transgression and had the right to act for Christ, but that this did not attach to them as a body, only as individuals. Elder Spencer here interjected, President Woodruff, for instance, I continued, excuse me, I do not care to answer the question as to the individuals by name. Each case must be determined by the conditions when the questions as to individuals may arise for consideration if such contingency occurs. 16. Do you say, I think the word hold was used, that you have authority to administer in the ordinances of the gospel? Answer, yes, sir, I fully believe that I have such authority and the evidence of the Lord's acceptance and endorsement of my ministry during the last 30 years are quite numerous. I then related some of them. 17. In reply to the question about who would lead the reorganised church in case of my death, I told Mr Spencer that the care of the church was would devolve upon the twelve as a quorum until my successor was pointed out by revelation that the same rights that i held as the son of my father would descend to my sons but that the callings of anyone depended on worthiness as well as lineage or birthright that the question of the succession of a son to what his father held would turn on the equate the question of worth, other things being equal, but that the Lord by his spirit would determine the call. 18. I have no recollection of any such question as number 18, certainly not in that form. It was evidently a forcing of the text referring to the turning of the hearts of the fathers to the sons and of the sons to the fathers, etc., and the delay referred to was in reference to baptism for the dead, etc. I had nothing to say why the Lord had not given a permiss permissive command since the stoppage in such ministration mentioned in the Revelation in 1841, and so told Mr Spencer. 19. Mr Spencer's question about endowments and baptisms for the dead was answered by me in this way. I know of nothing in the books, nor the published teachings of Joseph Smith and his fellow ministers teaching or authorising endowments, nor do I know whether any endowments were given in Nauvoo during my father's lifetime. I knew of none. I did not. I did know that there were some baptisms for the dead in the river at Nauvoo, for I saw them performed. I did not tell him that there were endowments, for I knew of none. 
My answer, and as he gives it, makes me to say there were endowments as well as baptisms for the dead, which is not true. 20. Have you ever inhabited the Nauvoo house? Answer. I have not lived in the house as a residence. My stepfather finished a part of it and my mother lived there with him for several years and died in it in April 1879. I cannot say what my posterity may do. Personally, I do not expect to live in the Nauvoo house in its present condition and ownership. It is now occupied and owned by the widow and son of my stepfather, Lewis Spiderman. My stepfather tore down a part of the building and built up another. 21. I do not think this question was framed in this way. I think the question was fixed up after the men left me. The question was, if what is promised, that is, a residence in the Nauvoo house has failed to be fulfilled, might it not be possible that any other promise made in the same revelation may fail also? To this I replied, yes, it is possible that any promise made to man may fail so far as he is personally concerned, for the reason that all the promises of God to man are conditional and worthiness or unworthiness has much to do with such things. But I am not aware that the loss of any priesthood right I may have been entitled to as the son of the prophet is involved in the loss of a residence in the Nauvoo house. 23. There was no question asked me in regard to my father leaving the keys with me. The question was, did not your father take the keys of his priesthood with him? As the revelation says, they shall not be taken from him. I answered that the revelation stated that the keys of this kingdom should not be taken from him, neither here nor in the world to come, that unless he transgressed, what was his and what accrued to him because of his faithful work should be continued his but that this did not affect the fact of his place being made vacant, nor the right of myself or another to occupy if God so willed it, and that the oracles were to be given through him to the church, that men, whether apostles or prophets, were not oracles in the sense of the term used in the revelations, that the oracles, their names, were the commandments of God contained in the books, or the books themselves for that matter, and the revelations of God to the church, that the revelations and commandments of God were given to the church as a whole and not to the twelve alone. And that was one of our reasons for the course we had taken. For in our judgment, those oracles had been treated as a light thing and condemnation had resuited, as the revelation stated. Mr. Spencer then asked me whether... The apostles were not the leading quorum after the presidency, as the Saviour said, first apostles, etc. To this I answered yes. I then added, I've always held that, had the twelve as a quorum taken the lead at the death of, the, uh, at the death of Father and Uncle Hiram and carried on the work righteously and in accordance with the gospel as given to Joseph Smith by the angel, continuing in their places as missionaries to the world, until the Lord had revealed or called on the one he chose to lead or to come president in time, there would never have occurred such a scene of apostasy as took place, nor would there have been a doctrine so evil introduced as we believe was forced upon the church, for the twelve as a quorum would have taken such steps as would guard the church from imposition until such time as the one chosen of God to lead had been called as that quorum was next in authority. But the twelve in authority of decision was only one of three, which were equal, as the section on priesthood clearly stated, the presidency, the twelve, the seventy. See section 104. It was in this connection that I said the twelve were the proper ones to lead after father's death, and I qualified it as I am here, as I have I'll start that again. And I qualified it as I here have stated. I did not at any time nor in any way endorse the idea nor employ the fact that the right to lead the church at the death of Joseph and Hiram Smith devolved unqualifiedly upon the twelve. Though Brother Luff stated after they were gone that Spencer would so report me. 
I know of no revelation to me on the revelation of married people as asked in question 12, other than the ones referred to by me in my biography, in which I was told that polygamy was not of God. And I stated to Mr. Spencer that, as I had asked the Lord which church I should join, so I had asked in regard to polygamy and had been as clearly and positively told that polygamy was not of God. I recollect no other revelation. If Brother Luff referred to any other, I know nothing of what it was he referred to. This interview lasted from about 9am to nearly half past 11. Mr Spencer was the talker, the rest scarcely joining in the chat. The talk was long and apparently friendly. I made no statements and took no positions that were either untrue in themselves or, if understood, were damaging. That Mr Spencer and his men may distort and twist what I did say appears to be possible. Mr Spencer expressed the hope that there might be a unity of the two, you and us, as he expressed it. To this, both Brother Luff and I expressed assent. It, if it could be done on the lines laid down of the Lord in the works of the church, his word and his will. I do not take the position that both the Utah church and the reorganized church are baptizing into the same body of Christ. I took no such grounds with Mr. Spencer. Both Brother Luff and I gave them to understand that we claimed to be the church in succession, that we had nothing to conceal and we were willing what we had done to be investigated. I believe the set time referred to cannot be properly applied to the practice of endowments and baptisms for the dead. I know of no endowments being practised in father's time. There were baptisms for the dead for a while in the river until stopped as referred to in section 107, Revelation of 1841. I'm satisfied that the endowments practised in Utah were not had in father's time. They may have been in Nauvoo after he died, though personally I know of none of them. I never lived in the Nauvoo house. I did live in the Nauvoo mansion. It would be possible to build the Nauvoo house and me live in it yet, if God so ordered it to be done. I did not say the leadership was vested in the apostles. I did say that they had... I did say that had they remained in their places and iniquity kept out of the church, the great confusion and wrong that resulted would not have been possible. The conversation on the leadership question was quite long and some of the answers as sent by you are not only not full but are absolutely incorrect as in question 23 which has three in one and the answer to one. Yes, referring to the keys being taken by father, etc. is right, but wrong to each of the others. My answers were full and plain, at the same time guarded from incorrectness, especially so in regard to the priesthood and lineal right. They have cooked both questions and answers. You are at liberty to withstand Elder Criddle or any of them all over Kansas, so far as I am concerned. Brother J. R. Lambert is in charge and will give help if needed. But they will not meet you. Those men are not at liberty to use or misuse an interview with me, which Mr Spencer said was for their own private benefit. Besides this, the elders are not bound by any absurd answer of mine to baffling questions contrary to the books of the church. Yours in bonds, Joseph Smith. I'm going to leave that there and carry on in the next episode. Thank you for listening.